Have you ever wanted something so much, but then once you finally achieved that something, once you finally had it in your hands, you realized it wasn't what you were expecting? Such was the case for pro skateboarder Joe Gruber. He'd made it onto the international tour, and yet at the same time, he was miserable. An excellent YouTube video has been put together about Joe's life story. Here's a snippet from the audio. My whole pursuit was skateboarding. Uh, my whole pursuit was really me. In fact, I would describe myself uh, as probably the most selfish person on the planet. I really did. I, I, was, I was horrible. I was a terrible brother. I was a terrible son. Um, I really didn't do a good job of honoring my, my, my parents. Um, I wasn't a good friend. Um, I was really in life for myself. I remember I, I turned pro, I'm getting paid, I'm traveling the world, and you get, the, you get paid to ride a, a, a piece of wood. And for me, I was really enjoying it, but something thought like that goal, once I obtained that goal, I felt like it was gonna mean more. I felt like there was gonna be some, some meaning or like, it was almost like I was a really broken and unhappy person. And then I thought, as soon as I go pro, like it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be it. I'm gonna be happy, I'm gonna be content, I'm gonna have joy, I'm gonna um, I'm, I have this sense of accomplishment. And, and none of it, it was like, it was like a mirage. But then God gave Joe another chance. This is the Another Chance Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sussman. Thanks for listening. By the way, for show notes, background notes regarding this episode, just go to briansussman.com. And while there, you can find all the ways to follow and reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. Again, that's briansussman.com. So many of us have at one time dreamed or maybe are currently dreaming of becoming a pro athlete. Wow, I mean, getting paid to play or perform a sport that you've been doing since you were a kid, that's amazing. Well, that was Joe Gruber. And through hard work, and some might say a little luck, Joe made it onto the professional skateboarding circuit, even eventually teaming up with legendary skater Lance Mountain, who, by the way, will be heard later in this episode. By the way, that opening audio clip is from a video about Joe on YouTube entitled Broken by MS Skate Ministry. Joe and I have become friends in recent years, which my kids think is pretty rad because Joe was one of the guys they watched in some of their favorite skateboarding videos and magazines in the 90s. Though he's graduated from the circuit, he still skates and has worked for some big-time organizations like the Billy Graham Association. And he's currently a pastor at Hope Church in Santa Cruz, California, which has an excellent skateboard outreach program for kids. I was excited when Joe was able to sit down and talk with me for this podcast, and his life really is a story worth listening to, especially if you've ever had any doubts about the reality of God and the power of His Spirit. Joe's story began in Southern California and does involve moments that, years later, are, are actually quite hilarious, because Joe can be a hilarious guy, as you'll soon discover. When I was 16 years old, I started skateboarding, and uh, my brother, 14, 15, um, it, was, it was when I was a sophomore in high school. We started skateboarding, and that, that actually 
um, kept us focused because we really enjoyed it. And it, it kept us out of a lot of trouble because if we, if we didn't skateboard, guaranteed, um, just because there were some wounds and some, uh, just some, some dysfunction in my own life and, and, uh, and just a desire to have close friends and acceptance and all these different things, I, I probably would, would have got into gangs. Um, but because of skateboarding, we, we just hung out with other skateboarders. And uh, a lot of them were dysfunctional themselves, came from dysfunctional homes. And so we never really, we never really hung out with too many, you know, too many guys that were, that were going down too far down the wrong path. Um, so kept us safe. There was, uh, I feel like skateboarding really kept us focused and safe for the most part. Hugh also, um, for someone who may be listening who doesn't know who you are, you're you're a white guy. Yeah, but as white as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> Although you do have some fanciful colored tattoos. That's uh, my name's Joseph. That's my coat of many colors. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing is, in your school settings, you often found yourself as the minority. Oh yeah, um, there were times where uh, one specific time when we were in Pasadena, we went to John Muir. Uh, high school in Altadena and it was right next to a bunch of projects and and so yeah um, we have some funny stories of that my, my brother only lasted a day I think I lasted I don't know maybe a maybe a maybe a month and uh, and then we we entered into independent studies homeschool um, but yeah that was that was rough okay so if you if he only lasted a day and you lasted a month talk to us about that dynamic yeah so we were the only that we could see we were the only white kids uh, in the whole school and um, it was it, it was a really really rough neighborhood and I remember I think we were already I think we were trying we were only going to school there um, because we were trying to get a worker's permit or something like that. I don't think we were scheduled to go there for uh, the entire year, but um, so I, I ended up lasting enough time to get my worker's permit. But yeah, we when we were there, I remember just being in the hallway and uh, and and I just remember pe- people coming intentionally, just bumping shoulders and 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 pushing and and just be like, you know, like you want some. You're trying to cause a fight and just just totally unprovoked, completely unprovoked, and um, and I just I just I remember <laughs> after school uh, we made it through school for one day and after school we were uh, standing on the side of the road as a busy street and um, I remember I remember just standing there and everybody pointing at us and everybody they were cussing at us and and just uh, really giving us a hard time just wanted you know trying to provoke fights a little bit and. And me and my brother are both sitting there waiting, and and my waiting for my mom, and and my mom was late, and it could have it just was the worst day to ever be late, and you're already at high school, you're you're already a little bit embarrassed being picked up by your mom, um, in and of itself. But I remember uh, there was this this lowered, just slammed, fixed up, old, really nice uh, red Cadillac that started approaching at about five miles per hour, and um, and it was convertible, and there was you know. Four Bloods, uh, you know, type of gang that were sitting in the car. Like the gang, the Bloods. Yeah, Bloods, yeah. yeah. They had, you know, the red bandanas and red hats, whatever. And uh, Pasadena was a blood town, so that wasn't that wasn't rare. And so they're coming up, and they're looking right at us, and 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 they would not stop looking at us. And I looked, I turned over to my brother, half scared, half joking, and just said, 
I think we might we we might be getting smoked right now. <laughs> you know, like, I watch too many gang movies. I love I love gang movies and prison <laughs> movies, and um, and my brother just looked terrified when I said that, and um and and I just said, dude, you know, I, I was like, I don't know, man. So we just we watched, and um and slowly, and, and everybody's pointing at us and looking at us and laughing at us. It's almost like everybody knew the inevitable was about to happen that we were gonna get jacked. And, um, and so this car rolls up slowly and they're still looking at us. They did not keep their eyes off. Some guy stands up in the back as a convertible stands up in the back, goes for his side. And I'm thinking he's going for a gun. And, um, and I, and I look over, I was like, dude, like I look over at Keith, my brother, and he's scared and, and I'm scared too. And, um, but instead of pulling out a gun, he pulls out hard boiled eggs and just starts beaning us. And um, my brother just had his, he had his eyes closed, so he didn't know what was happening. And I was bobbing and weaving, and so none of the eggs hit me. And, but, but an egg hit my brother in the neck, and he thought he got shot in the neck because his eyes were closed, even though he didn't hear a gunshot, obviously. And he went down. He went down to the ground. And, uh, and he, as he's going down, he's all, I've been shot. <laughs> he thought he was bleeding out. And, uh, and of course, you know, the good brother I am, I uh, laughed at him. And uh, everybody else was <laughs> And everybody too. else laughed, too. Oh, yeah, including the gangsters. Oh. And then at about the same time, my mom starts cruising up, and she's all of barely five foot tall and she's got we get we had this big this old bus with a thousand windows and she's probably got a telephone book you know just to just to sit high enough to see over the into you know through the windshield and she's on hey guys and we're just so humiliated so okay so that story crazy as it sounds <laughs> really did occur because i spoke to joe's brother keith who confirmed it so we're just sitting out there waiting for my mom after school, and we're sitting on a curb, and like one of these, the, I, I want to say like the low rider comes strolling, uh, like rolling up, like close, and they're bumping, and and just looking mean and on me, like, it's a problem, like we've seen this before, it's not good, and uh, so they come, they approach us, and out the window, like, the, I just see, uh, like, a movement out the window. I'm, like, close my eyes, and I'm, go and I'm I don't know if I verbally said it or whatever. I said, we're done. We're going to get shot. And then next thing I know, I feel this thing on my neck. And, <laughs> and I told Joe, I was like, I've been shot. <laughs> and then, uh, like, I obviously didn't bleed out or lose consciousness and so I opened my eyes and <laughs> everyone's laughing and they just threw an egg at me so it hit me in the neck <laughs> my brother didn't go back so that was literally his one day one and done man he's like I will not work can't I can't blame him. No. But you made it a month. Yeah, I don't even remember if it was like a week or two weeks or a month, but I made it. I made the duration so I could get my workers permit. So Joe and Keith grew up in Southern California. Their parents divorced early on, and so for a time, it was just the two of them and their mom. So I was born in Simi Valley, um, and when the divorce happened, it was in Simi Valley. And then we... We moved around quite a bit. We lived in 
uh, mo uh, mostly L.A. County um, all my life. So San Fernando Valley and uh, different East L.A. suburbs and different, uh, mostly, mostly L.A. County, though. But your mother was really struggling financially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she... Uh, she was struggling financially, working, you know, one, working two jobs uh, at times. And my brother and I were young and somewhat latchkey kids. We would walk to school by ourselves when we were super young and, and come home, uh, just kind of lock the door behind us and, and uh, wait for our mom to get home. She was, she was struggling to provide for us. And I, I really look up to her a lot. She's a huge inspiration to hmm. me of just how she was able to hold down the fort. And, and that, that was impressive. So then your mom eventually remarries. And as you've mentioned to me, there were still some struggles early on, but you guys always seem to really try to make the best of things. Uh, fast forward, maybe a couple of years, we got evicted out of our house. And so we, we were basically homeless. Um, we were camping in tents and uh, in the in the mountains and you know and he was trying to he was trying to find work and so he'd still go in even though we were homeless he he was always such a hard worker he'd he'd try to figure out you know ways to get work and he'd drive into work while we were just holding down the campsite that only lasted for the summer it was kind of a, a summer uh summer camp fest that was your summer vacation <laughs> yeah. well yeah. while other kids are going to you know we're going to the youth camp we're going yeah. to the beach you guys yeah. are camping out because that's the only where that's the only place you could live. Yeah, we made the best of it. I think um, <laughs> I think that was one of the things that I always r really appreciated about my mom and my stepdad is that uh, they really they followed Jesus. They had a relationship with Jesus and and they uh, tried to make the best out of things. But at the same time, Joe, you know how this works. Oftentimes, children who have been through a divorce are unable to see all of the facts and circumstances leading up to that divorce, and they can become bitter. I was angry, and I was really angry. I was hurt, and I, I held bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart for many years. And uh, it really wasn't until... I encountered Jesus and so started to consistently encounter Jesus and recognized his forgiveness for me that I, I don't have any business um, having any bitterness or unforgiveness in my heart toward anybody um, considering how much he's forgiven me. So I started to walk through a process of, of just letting go. And I heard somebody say one time, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting it hurt to hurt the other person, to harm the other person. And that's all it was doing. It was harming me. It was, um, it was like poison in, inside mm. my soul, inside my heart. Mm. And I, I knew I needed to get rid of it. And so I uh, slowly but surely got rid of it. And I, I don't have an ounce of it today. I, I love my, my dad. I love my mom. I love my stepdad and stepmom. He, you know, uh, with all of my heart, I, just, huh. I, I really value them a lot. So for Joe, allowing the Lord to heal his bitter heart did take some time. And that time was simultaneously spent skateboarding. Brother Keith told me skating brought a lot of good stuff into their lives. We were street kids, so that's what we were doing. We were always out and about, and skateboarding just opened up so much for us. Like, not only from the activity, it got us real straight in our focus on having something as young men to, like, pour ourselves into, 
to uh, excel, to improve, to progress. And of course, their mom, Anne, recalls the scrapes and the bruises and all the other stuff that went along with her son's hobby. Oh, yes. Yeah, there was a lot of blood and gore and sprains. And I don't remember any breaks. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty miserable. And But I don't know. I, I'm not a person that, you know, f- freaks out. We even had like this uh, half pipe in our backyard one time. And, you know, most of the neighborhood would come, you know, <laughs> all the kids and skate there. And, and uh, yeah, they got hurt a lot, brains, you know, you know, just really bad stuff. But despite the frequent road rash, Joe and his brother continued to move up the ladder of skateboarding success. Some of it was being in the right place at the right time um, and with the right people. And so what I mean by that is I started skating when I was 16, and and I think we we got sponsored by a local shop in Covina, Outhouse Surf, Skate, and Snow, and they sponsored us shop. And and so we started entering contests and all that. And then eventually we started getting better and better. Me and my brother, we skated together all the time, every day. Um, and we got better and better, and then we started to get sponsored by other companies, um, what would be called amateur. Uh, my first amateur sponsors were Thunder Trucks and Spitfire Wheels, and I got sponsored at a contest that I did really well at, at Pal Peralta, of all places, in Santa Barbara, right outside of Santa Barbara. And so that, that started, um, that really right there, getting sponsored and being amateur, getting free products and traveling and doing contests, that that started a, a dream in me to go pro eventually. And uh, I really didn't have a lot of support. There was just a lot of naysayers, a lot of people just saying, ah, you'll never be able to do that. And, and um, I think me and my brother both wanted to do that, wanted to accomplish that. And I really look back now, hindsight, a little clearer vision, I look back and I really believe that God put that in my heart. And so, and my work ethic was was just fantastic, and and ma- mainly not because, uh, mainly it's just because of my passion for skateboarding. And so, uh, you don't really need a strong work ethic when you got passion. Passion drives you. Hmm. So we we just skated and skated and skated and uh, got more and more sponsors. And then uh, we met a guy in Pasadena when we lived in Pasadena. We met an icon in uh, in skateboarding. His name is Lance Mountain. And um, he's one of the original Bones Brigade guys. He used to skate for Pal Peralta. We just met him randomly. He just showed up at this at this Catholic school that had a parking lot that had all these banks that we used to skate. It was kind of like our our uh, our skate park. And uh, he showed up there by himself, and we we introduced ourselves. We skated with him, and slowly but surely, we became good friends. And and he really unlocked some doors for us. This really is an amazing part of the story. Lance Mountain was doing a monthly article for a popular skate magazine, Trans World. And while skating with Joe and Keith, he thought it would be cool to do a story about skateboarding brothers. Keith and Lance actually recall the moment quite well. He said, hey, I'm doing, they're doing this thing on brothers, and uh, I'd like to shoot some photos of you guys if you're interested in and like, come on, that's like the best thing for us. That was like going to the White House to meet the president of the United States or something. It was, it was so cool. <laughs> like honor, privilege, excitement of meeting Lance Mountain. Anyways, 
engagement in our life on a way that would put us in magazines. Incredible French, uh, interaction that developed into a friendship in which he mentored and nurtured us as this young man was just immeasurable. Lance recalls it like this. I used to do an article for Trans, uh, Transworld magazine, which was, it started out as like people that had ramps in their backyard, just like a little private thing, and then it kind of ran at its course. And so I started doing an article just on anyone and anything. It was called, <laughs> and it was like whatever I felt like that month. And um, I don't know how or what or through who, but at a local spot, they were skating. And I liked just shooting photos and whatever, and these guys were ripping, and it was brothers. And I was like, oh, there's a story. And that's how I met them. So started skating with them after that, and that's when everything fell apart. And it was like, I don't even really remember how I met them through somebody. I don't know if it was just randomly I was there. but I never skated by myself, so. Yeah, I do remember that. It was at, uh, I think it's called um, St. Whatever, they're banks. They're still there in Pasadena. They got parking blocks on them and everything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, met him, shot this article, and that's how kind of the relationship started. And then everything changed from what I skated, which was backyard pools and things, to street. And so I ended up skating with him quite a bit just because I, that was me. I had learned that you always have to skate with the next group of kids. Otherwise, you just you just fade into oblivion. You just sitting in your garage high jumping, in, you know, as if it's 1974, <laughs> rather than what's new. And so I ended up street skating with them a lot more than what I used to do, is ride pools and everything, and slowly but surely, that's how our relationship created. So Lance Mountain helped me get a, uh, a really good board sponsor, and it's Sim Skateboards, which was at the time was owned by Vision, uh, which really helped me get a... Uh, a shoe sponsored Vision Streetwear, a clothing sponsor, also Vision Streetwear. And how about how old are you at this point? So in time? at this point, I'm probably I'm a, I'm like 18, 19 years old. Okay. And so, uh, so I just started advancing through the amateur ranks, I guess, for lack of better terminology. And um, eventually, Vision, I, I transferred from Sims to Vision, the the parent company, if you will, and. Uh, eventually, they they wanted to they wanted to turn me pro. It was the right time. There was a couple. There were a couple of big time pros on Vision that left. Uh, Mark Gonzalez being one of them. Um, Gator, uh, a guy Gator, got locked up in prison. He's still in prison for life. And there was so so there were some vacancies for for pros, and they wanted to turn me pro. So I uh, I gladly said yes. And as a pro, I mean. Let's be realistic. You ascended to a f- very high level. You were traveling the world. Yeah. Yeah. Traveling the world. You know, you have a board with your graphic on it, your own graphic and your own name on it. And, and you're getting paid. And plus the company is paying you to travel all over the world. You know, and then uh, for me, too, I eventually I, uh, I quit Vision because Lance Mountain quit Pal Peralta and started his own company. And um, and it was called the firm. And so Lance, uh, Lance, the really the guy that that caused it to all happen. Uh, eventually, um, I'm now I was writing for him. I was pro for his company. My brother pro for his company as well. And so that to me was incredible. Here's the take from Joe's mom. There was something great going on in their life because you know I could. They were they were just so 
always working on their skills and things like that. You know, it really it kept them in a good place. You know, they had something to work toward. And, you know, so many kids didn't. And it, once they got more involved with Lance, things started really... I started feeling more confident about where they were going. And, you know, I never thought they would be professional skateboarders, but I could see the favor. You can just see the favor on them. And it was a good favor. It was a godly favor. So, Joe, as you turn pro, your mother realizes that the hand of God is all over this. But where were you in relationship to God at this point in time? You, you had a moment in time as a youngster where you acknowledged Jesus as Lord, but now you're traveling the world. Where is God at this point? That's a great question. Um, you know, G- Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. That's his promise. And so because I did invite him into my life, he was right there in the moment um, every single day. Uh, I felt his presence. I knew he was near. Uh, he said, he, he, you know, one of his promises is that he's going to be faithful to complete the work. And even though I was stiff-arming him at the time, I would describe it like this. He was my Savior, but he wasn't my Lord. Um, I really had no problem. My faith was real, um, but I did not want I did not want him to lead my life. Um, I did not want to surrender the reins over to him and submit to his lordship, his leadership. And for me, Lance was a big part of that, Lance Mountain, uh, because he uh, was and still is a strong believer. And so um, the way that God pursued me was through the world of skateboarding, uh, through somebody like Lance, where I could, from, you know, real up close, see his life, see the way he was a husband, see the way he was a father, see the way he ran his business, see the way that he modeled um he modeled uh, Christ, see the way he represented Christ uh, in a really dysfunctional and dark industry, skateboarding. And so I got to see that, and slowly but surely, God started uh, really working on my heart. And slowly but surely, I started to recognize, wait a minute, my, my warped perception that God the Father is not good and that he's just a killjoy, and really if I surrender my life to him, he's going he's gonna to do something wacky like you know, make me quit skateboarding and, and everything that's fun, everything I love or whatever, and go do something else that I hate, uh, put on a suit and tie and be a pastor was my, was my uh, perception. Uh, was, <laughs> of, of something you didn't want to happen. Not at all, not at all. Um, not at all. And uh, I just, I, I looked at God as being a micromanager um, and a micromanager that really didn't want, didn't want me to explore uh, the things, the dreams, the, the desires of my heart. And, and which is not true. Uh, I later found out that if you delight yourself in him, he gives you the desires of your heart. In fact, he puts those desires in your heart. Skateboarding was a desire, a vision, a dream that he put in my heart. And, um, and here, here I am thinking that he's going to make me quit something that he authored. Why do you think oftentimes so many followers of Jesus have the same warped perception? Um, I think sometimes it might have to do with the relationship with their earthly father. I think also sometimes, um, I just don't think for the most part, I don't think Christians model Jesus too well. There's a, uh, there are a lot of Christians out there that just don't model the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace, uh, of the father. And so, you know, you, uh, you get a warped perception. 
So you just mentioned at this point, you're stiff arming God. And at the same time, you're starting to venture into the dark side of the skating world. I was living in a party house. And at this point, I, uh, I, I traveled, you know, as a pro skateboarder, I did all that. I, I, I was a really angry, still hurt, still confused um, person. I was uh, doing drugs. I was drinking a lot. And, and, um, and, and I just, I, w I had this moment. I was, I was, uh, I was on, um, I took two hits of acid and I was living in Simi Valley. I was living with a couple of housemates, some dudes that I knew and, uh, just going down a really, really dark path. I was starting to get less interested in skateboarding and just, just partying and partying and, and I remember the whole house was was empty, which was rare because it was like the party house. It was empty, and, and nothing happened for about an hour. So I thought I just got some bum hits. They were just uh, whatever. I wasted my money. They were bum hits. About an hour into it, uh, and I always tell the, the listener uh, when I tell my story that you can be the judge. Either I had a really bad trip. It finally started to take place, and I had a bad trip, what would be called a bad trip, or uh, my eyes were just opened up to the spiritual realm. But what I saw were demons all in my living room, and they were everywhere, and they were tormenting me. Uh, they, were, they were coming at me and, and cussing at me, um, and they were uh, telling me, like, you're going to die, and just all this, all this crazy stuff. You're going to die. You're going to go to hell. You're going to burn in hell, like gnarly stuff. Um, and I remember just splashing water on my face, trying to go out on the patio, trying to go outside. They would follow me. And, and it was, it was at least three hours of just pure torment. And, and this one demon came up to me and said, you're getting tired. You're going to fall asleep and you're going to die in your sleep and you're going to wake up burning in hell. That, that's what this demon said to me. And I was like, whoa, like terrified. And, uh, but I got this one clair uh, clarifying just thought, just a clear thought. I just started to survey my life and I looked at my life and I thought, whoa, okay, this is what it looks like when I lead my own life. When I do things as I see fit and I call the shots, this is the result. Whoa. And I remember in that moment just thinking, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready to give it a try. And I gave, I, in that moment, I just prayed. I said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my leader. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit came. And I, there's a scripture uh, in the Bible that says, when God arises, his enemies scatter. And that was what exactly happened. I felt the Holy Spirit fill my whole entire body. I felt his presence. And all of those demons just bounced. They left. And I was instantly delivered from that entire party life. I have never even had, ever since, I've never even had the slightest temptation. I was so set free. I never even had the slight temptation to get drunk or to do drugs or any of that ever since. So, Joe, after God shows you his redemptive powers via an acid trip in which you encounter demons, you're all in. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I really did surrender, uh, meaning, meaning if, if he wanted skateboarding out of my life, I would have given it up in a heartbeat. Um, anything and everything, I was just like, God, if, if, if you want it to go, it'll be gone. Um, and whatever you want me to do, I will do. Hmm. And so, um, and, but he didn't take skateboarding from me. And, and so what I did is I, I used it for 
I used it for his glory. And so that's when I started getting involved in youth ministry. And that's when I started getting involved with, um, with really trying to take skateboarding and using it to share the love of God. Um, whether that's through my travels or whether that was through my graphics on my skateboard itself um, or whether that was showing up at a youth group and being able to share my story um, and just skate with kids, love kids. Um, I I just, I I started down a path where I was, I was exploring what it was to, to really be a pastor. You know, it's interesting, Lance, because there was that period of time where Joe got sucked into the dark side of the skateboard world. But once he finally woke up and surrendered his life to the Lord, your example really meant a lot to him. Skateboarders are pretty honest, like disgustingly honest. Um, whereas, you know, everything that happens in skateboarding, the drugs and the girls, everything happens in football, it's all hidden, though. And skateboarders are basically just super honest about it so i think the reality was that i was just super honest about the lord too it wasn't like this oh god's gonna fix everything he's gonna do everything we're just like i don't know i don't know what's going on like Hmm. all we got is the lord but at the same time lance guys like joe and his brother perceived you as a guy who modeled jesus so while they had their own struggles and issues you were a source of encouragement and inspiration so that, that's interesting because I definitely don't think I was um, like a, a youth pastor that had the answers. I was more like, I just want to do the right thing in the, in the wrong world. That's the real story is redemption, not getting it right. Well said. That's actually the real, that's the real God. It's not, do we learn him and get it right? Which is like kind of what old school Christianity seemed to me. It was just like, we we do all the right things and say all the right things, and if the wrong things happen, we kind of just don't deal with that and don't let people see that. Mm-hmm. It's more of, now I'm failing on a daily basis. Like, luckily, I have a Redeemer. You have had a lot of what I like to call close encounters of the spiritual kind. And I think these are real faith builders. I would love, Joe, for the Another Chance audience, if you could share about that particularly serious ankle injury you suffered many years ago. This is years after I was retired as a pro skateboarder. Uh, As a pro skateboarder, amateur and pro skateboarder, I never broke a bone in my body. And I'm guessing that's unusual. Uh, yeah, given, highly unusual. Given what you guys yeah, yeah, do. Skateboarding, <laughs> skateboarding is no joke on the body. And so, yeah, I, I, that, that's another thing that I just feel like God really protected me um, from, from uh, injuries and, and stuff. I was, I'm really thankful for that. But so years after I retired, uh, I broke my ankle. I didn't know it at the time and because I, know, I really never had anything co- to compare it to. I, it wasn't a compound fracture, so there was no bone sticking out or anything. I just thought it was a really bad sprain. And so I, uh, my wife, she's really wise, wiser than I am. She told me to go to the doctors, and I didn't. And um, I just thought, ah, I'll just wait. I'll just sit, you know, I'll just rest it for a couple of weeks, and, and it'll, it'll get better. And so it never really got better. So about a month later, it's it's still pretty jacked. Two months later, it's still pretty wrecked. I'm in a lot of pain. 
still didn't go to the doctor. I'm just stubborn. I don't not like to go to the doctors for some reasons. I, I have problems. Typical guy. Yeah, typical guy. So um, about, I would say probably about three months into it, I, uh, I, I decided to go skateboard because I thought, well, maybe if I just get out there and do some activity, it'll, it'll heat up and, and loosen up and, you know, whatever. And plus, I was just itching. Let's, let's be truthful. I was just itching to skate again. And so I went out there and did it, and I re-injured it really bad again. And still, same thing. I didn't go to the doctor's. And um, I, I didn't want to go to the doctors. I thought it was just, ah, I just didn't stay off it long enough or I've been too, you know, t- too much on my feet and all that kind of stuff. I'm not giving it a chance to heal. And so I, I again, was stubborn, didn't go to the doctor. And then uh, about three months later, I was visiting, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time and visited my brother in Palm Springs. And we, we like to play basketball. And uh, we were playing uh, with another friend of ours. And I, I, I told them, I said, I don't want to play basketball. My ankle's jacked up, but I'll shoot around. We'll play around the world or something like that. Um, and, of course, the, you know, because I'm so competitive, because they're competitive, it ended up being a full-blown game, you know. And so I just remember I remembered <laughs> m- putting some Steph Curry-like move, not even close. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd like to think it was. Um, and I, uh, I, re- I re-injured it really bad. Uh, the important part of the really of the of the story of that part is that I, I won. I actually won even with a broken ankle, <laughs> even though I didn't know it. I still waited another. I went back home, waited another three months, and uh, and I finally got convinced that I needed to go to the doctor. I went to the doctor, and the, and and he said that um, you know I took the X ray and all that, and he said you broke your ankle three times in the same spot, and he's all, did you know that? And I said, no, I I do now. And, um, and so he, he said, well, I wish you would have come in sooner. And I was like, well, my, my wife will love to hear that. And, um, and, and so uh, there's really nothing I can do. You're going to limp through life with pain um, for really for the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to do skateboard, basketball, run, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I could do a surgery, and there's a 50-50% chance that it'll help. And we didn't. it was going to be some crazy expensive surgery. We couldn't afford it anyway. And so I, I, I was so discouraged. I was so discouraged and uh, just bummed, right? And, but I, I took it to prayer, and I prayed, and I, just, I really sought God. And, and, you know, the Bible says that, uh, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I figured, hey, if, if he's doing miracles back then, he's still doing them today. He's still going to be doing them. And so I, I pressed in and prayed, God, I want a healing. One of the things that was interesting is in my in my in my 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 quiet time with God and when I prayed with Him, I just said, I I, I told Jesus that you're the great physician. I'm looking to you for a second opinion, like a, a you know like, that you would normally go to a different doctor and get a second opinion. I was looking to Doctor Jesus for a second opinion, and so I got um I I got wind that there was this this uh this this event, this night where it was going to be this guest speaker was coming into town. And I've already read a couple of his books, listened to his podcast. I really liked him. And, and, and he really believes that, that, that Jesus still does miracles today. So, um, I, and I wasn't really even going to this thinking that I was going to get healed. I go, I go and, um, and worship was amazing. And he, the, the guest speaker gets up and he says, do you mind if I, I just say a couple of things, a couple of things I felt like God spoke to me, uh, during worship and, uh, he's got the mic, nobody's going to object. And, and so he, he tells me that he, he says this, he says the first thing out of his mouth, he says, somebody here used to be a professional athlete. You're a young man and you broke your left ankle. 
three times in the same spot. The doctor said you'll never be able to do the things you love to do ever again. You're going to limp through pain. And, uh, and, and this is what he said. This is, if that didn't blow my mind already, this is, this is what he proceeded to say. He said, he said, Jesus, the great physician, has a second opinion. He's healing you now. And in that moment, my, my, my ankle got healed. And it's been perfectly 100% whole ever since. Wow. What yeah. a faith builder. And I didn't even listen. I love, he's a great speaker, and I didn't even listen to the message. I oh went, I went skateboarding. <laughs> Seriously? That was it. Let's, I was so hyped. Let's, let's test it out. Yeah. Never had an ounce of pain ever since. That is a faith builder. So, Joe, let's let's kind of go backwards here because you've seen so many really wild, miraculous things take place in your life. Now you're working for the Billy Graham Association, the creme de la creme of Christian organizations. You're in North Carolina, and you get a call from an old friend, Danny Bennett, who's pastoring in Santa Cruz, California, at basically a startup church. And uh, he calls you to consider coming out to minister with him in Santa Cruz. So Danny Bennett, back... uh back up when I was living in Simi Valley and when I when I was uh, on acid and I gave my life to Jesus, uh, that's when I started getting involved in a church and, and me, uh, my then girlfriend, we got married, Katrina, we got married there, we found a church and when we found that church, uh, we got involved in youth ministry and, and that's how we met Danny and his wife Jenny. And um, Danny was a, he was a, he was a, a skateboarder surfer that was just in high school and I was a I was a um, a volunteer, volunteer young adult, uh, just volunteering in the ministry, and so we we met him and met Jenny when they weren't even together. They were just uh, not even dating, and and we de- developed a friendship. We me and Danny clicked right away, uh, just because of skateboarding and uh, you know just similar likes and interests and all that, and so that started a relationship that just kept going. Danny recalls it like this. And so I remember calling him, and I remember him picking up the phone and just talking with him and, and just saying, Joe, hey, I want you to pray about something. You know, and basically what I was asking him was to pray about leaving his good job with benefits to make less money. With like, that's like the biggest name ministry in the world, Billy Graham. Yeah. Right? And he was doing stuff that he loved to do. He was doing like working with uh, their their youth events that they were doing. And, and I thought, you know what? There's no way he's going to say yes, but I got to at least ask him because he, I can't think of anybody else that would be the perfect fit for this, this job that was a, a need here in Santa Cruz. Um, but so we basically asked Joe, hey, would you consider taking a huge pay cut and coming to the most expensive place in the nation, moving your family out here to Santa Cruz? And, um, you know, I remember at first when I asked him, he was like, he wasn't like, he wasn't sure. He was kind of like, uh, let me pray about that. But he prayed about it, mm-hmm. and and you know, and they prayed about it. And I remember sitting with them at our house, and they just said, "Yeah, we just really feel like God's calling us to come to Santa Cruz and do this with you guys." And I felt like I won the lottery. I felt like I just won big, you know. I asked Lance Mountain about Joe's spiritual journey, which now involves him being a pastor in Santa Cruz. You chose Joe to be on your skateboard team, The Firm, with the intention of reaching the top skateboarders in the world with Jesus. And now, isn't it amazing? 
All these years later, God is using some of these guys like Joe to touch the lives of way more people than you probably ever imagined. To see that the Lord puts all these dots together, and it's just wonderful. It actually is wonderful. It's really encouraging. Um, and that's, a, that's the reality is, like, maybe in my heart was just to be as real with the, with the, the core group of guys that was laid on my heart or in my dreams and desires. But now Joe or any other, other people in these situations have gone on to reach way more people because they're open or their desire or whatever it is, is they're reaching all sorts of people, not just the top, not trying to just be um, intertwined with the top 60 best skateboarders in the world. And that's what I think something Joe's found out too. It's um, which is awesome because we all find this out. Sometimes we don't actually get what we think we want. We get what is best for us. <laughs> and what I, when I was trying to start the firm or do stuff, I was like, like I was trying to figure out how I can make a brand as big or as good as the ones I came from that don't exist anymore. And realistically, it's never happened. It, it just doesn't happen. It can't happen. And ultimately, I look back 15 years later when the firm's gone, he gave me exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be involved in it. I wanted to be involved with the top guys, and I wanted to skate. And if I actually would have had a brand that worked, all the guys I know that have brands that worked are stuck behind the desk mm. making the brand work. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe's dealt with that, too. He always wanted to be pro, 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 pro. And ultimately, the Lord's given him something that's way better than being pro. And I think he knows that now. It's like <laughs> he, gets these, <laughs> he gets these relationships that are bigger and better than just a crummy, like, pro career. That's just, it's just not that pro skateboarding career. It's not what a lot of people want. It's what they think they want, and it's just it's not all that good. You don't get to do what you want. You have to do a bunch of things you don't want to do. You know, it's so true. Much of the time, what we think we want and what we're sure we need pales in comparison to what God has for us. I asked Joe about this and how he might want to encourage someone, perhaps like you, who's yet to take that big leap of faith. Your life is going to take on a completely new meaning when you surrender yourself to Him. Um, and I would just say this, that if you're wrestling with that, just just start with saying, God, with, with what I would call a dangerous prayer, a dangerously good prayer, that God, if you're real, would you make yourself known to me? And if you do that, I promise you that he will show up. He will show up in your life. If, if you really mean that, because he promises, in fact, in his word, he says, if you diligently seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. And so um, I think if you're in pursuit, and if you're trying to pursue God and trying to really understand if he's real and, and if he is real, how does he work in your life? And what does that relationship look like? You'll find him. That's Joe Gruber encouraging you to make a dangerous prayer. And that dangerous prayer might go something like this. Jesus, if you're real, show me. And if you're real, 
I'm willing to make you Lord and Savior of my life. Joe Gruber received another chance from a God whose fountain is filled with an ever-flowing abundance of additional chances. Thanks for listening to this episode of Another Chance. For notes about this episode, just go to briansussman.com. And by all means, if you liked what you heard in this episode, please share it with a friend. Thanks for listening to the Another Chance podcast. I'm Brian Sussman.